This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. So, Jim, I know you first uh, came became aware of Opie and Anthony. I guess when you were a guest, you went up there with Dice. Is that how you first met Opie and Anthony? Well, the, I, I first became aware of them. I, I was opening for Dice. I was touring with him. And Club Soda Kenny told me, goes like, yeah, these guys are making fun of Andrew. Um, and I was like, oh, what dicks? Like, I, I didn't like them because I was like, they're making fun of my friend. And I wound up listening to, uh, I think it was uh, some ONA clips somewhere. And I really laughed. I, I think Anthony was doing uh, his Dice impression and it really made me laugh. So then Dice started going on the show. And he developed a relationship with them. Um, but I didn't meet them for a little while in there. Dice called one time. Dice was such a good friend to me. He was, I think, in studio. And he goes, you got to talk to my opener. Or he was on the phone. So they called me on three-way. And I was talking to Andrew and Open Ant uh, my first time on the radio show. And I was really awful. I was kind of, I, I suck as a phone guest. So I was, but they were polite to me because they were still not syndicated and they still kind of had like low, low self-esteem. So they weren't like, they weren't the ONA they would become where they would have just hung up on me and told me I stink, which lucky for me, they were still a little shy about pissing off Dice. But yeah, it was a phoner was my first encounter with them. Well, I feel like Dice was one of the very first people that went from being a Howard Stern guest to an Opie and Anthony guest like that. He was one of the first guys I feel like was a big name that started going on their show. Yeah. And it was way before it was literally when they were only on in New York. Um, I do believe it was. Um, I, I actually don't remember exactly when he started going on. But, yeah, I don't think a whole lot of Howard guys jumped over um, that I can remember. I know Brian Regan would go on a lot. Mario Cantone, um, Louis yeah, Black. Were, yeah. And those were not Howard guys back then. Right. Not Howard guys. I can't think of anyone. Plus, Howard was still on terrestrial uh, across the street in the morning. Um, but yeah, I think back then there was the whole thing. Like if you do one, if you do ONA, Howard's not going to let you back on. Yeah. So that was at least the impression we had. And were you a fan of talk radio, either Imus or Stern or Imus. anything else like that? Imus. Imus. Because my dad listened to Imus. Like I didn't listen to Howard. All the comedians I knew, they all listened to Howard. Um, but I was never up in the morning. Like when I started doing standup in 1990, you know, I'm going to bed at four or five in the morning waking up at three to go do gigs. So I didn't listen to morning radio. So the only morning radio I ever had any experience with was Imus because my father would listen to him. And I was friends with a kid uh, named Greg Fioravanti and his father, um, I don't know exactly what he did, but he was in the business somehow and he had some connection to Imus and I just don't remember what it was. 
And then you said you were a terrible phone guest. What was it like the first time you went into Opie and Anthony? Was that also with Dice or did you go in separate? It was with Dice and it was a really weird thing. Like I've never been greedy about like, I got to get the money. It was always about like, you know, use this moment to do something that, that will help you or that is fun. And, and I'm saying that because I went in, um, I think Jericho, who was Chris Jericho was doing this um, McQuaid. I, I forget the character he was doing back then, but it was like this guy, he wouldn't acknowledge that he was Jericho. It might've been my first time with him. Um, and I was there with Dice and I wasn't saying much. If I remember Moon Goose McQuaid might, or Moon Juice McQuaid might've been the character. So I was not saying much because it was my first time on and I had to leave for a gig in Jersey, but I'm like, I hadn't done much. And I'm like, what are you doing? You'd be late for the gig. Fuck the gig. Get somebody else to do it. You're on afternoon radio in New York with dice. What are you stupid for what? A few hundred bucks. So I wound up canceling the gig, I think. And in that final hour I stayed on, I was funny and I was really funny. And I think Oprah was the one who's like, dude, you got to come back on. You're really good. But had I just left and done that gig, it would have been a very uneventful first in studio appearance. And I might not have ever been invited back on separately. So I think Opie eventually told me like, Hey man, even if dice, isn't here we'd love to have you in because you're a local guy so that weird little decision it's crazy how these little decisions gently nudge the course that your life heads on um and that was one of those little weird decisions that kind of nudged me into a direction of uh where the radio show is going to be something in my life and then how long after that first appearance where you were in studio did they have you back in eight years uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was, uh, you know what? I don't remember. I just started coming in occasionally. And I, I really don't remember it because it's, you know, it's 20 years ago now. So it's just kind of a, I would just kind of come in or I would, I think Opie and I, Opie and I were definitely friends before Ant and I were. So he and I would talk once in a while and he'd, Hey man, just come in. And we got this thing happening. Like I was good off my, I was kind of fast on my feet. So they liked when like something was happening and I could just fire in jokes. And then eventually Opie said, uh, just do kind of whatever you want to pop in. Just let me know and come in. And then Lewis and I got arrested on the voyeur bus. And once we got arrested, went to jail for the night. Um, I got carte blanche on the show. That was what Opie said to me, dude, anytime you want to come in, you're welcome. You, you have carte blanche. You don't have to ask. You can just come. Uh, and this was before I was getting paid. But that Lewis Black, again, that horrible night uh, when we went to jail for the voyeur bus, that's kind of cemented me that I had this weird iconic moment in the show's history. And I had kind of carte blanche to come on whenever I wanted. And I think that was before we were syndicated too, or before they were syndicated. It wasn't a we yet. It was still a they. Now the voyeur bus, that was not an Opie and Anthony. They didn't put that together, right? That it was some guy who just had a see-through bus there where women were showering and he was driving it around New York city. How did that guy just was looking for publicity and, and hooked up with Opie and Anthony to get you guys involved in that? Came in as a guest. He brought some hot girls topless sexy girls and uh <laughs> hey we're doing this thing for the voyeur bus and that was another one where i had a gig i had to be down in south jersey for a gig and i'm like yeah you know what i'll go on the bus i'll be back by a certain time i can be out by seven i'll be there by and i remember thinking that so they sent lewis black and i on the bus with rick delgado and ben um and a couple of other people i think went on just to kind of call in i think that was i don't remember i know rick was there and just to kind of call in uh, and give progress on the bus's uh, trip through New York. It was like December. I want to say December 15th or 16th. It was like Christmas rush hour. And as we're on this bus, like kind of reporting what's going on, we're calling back in. 
I mean, there are hundreds of people following this bus. The cops are actually escorting us so people don't get too close to the bus. And then at one point downtown, uh, CNN jumped on the bus and they uh, did a quick story on this thing. And then they went and reported it to City Hall. So by the time we came back up under Lower Manhattan and looped up 6th Avenue, we eventually got arrested at 6th. And I want to say in the 50s somewhere. Uh, and that's when I kind of knew I wasn't going to make my gig. Um, but spending on it, and Opie and Anthony stayed late into Ron and Fez's show. And it was a huge story because, uh, you know, the show was so big back then. But that kind of, uh, yeah, it was not an Opie and Anthony thing. We just, we, we stupidly hung on. And Lewis and I both smoked. And I remember Lewis and I were talking to the cop who had us uh, locked up. And we're like, can, can we be in the cell together? Um, and he goes, what do you guys think? You're going to protect each other? And I'm like, yeah, you're right. I mean, <laughs> if, if Lewis was being sodomized, I just would have looked out the thing. I probably would have done lookout for the guys doing it if they asked me to. <laughs> and when, when, when you said you felt like you had carte blanche after that, it's still, it's weird when someone says, hey, anytime you want to come on, give us a call. Did you feel weird? asking or did you just at that point feel like yeah if i want to come in i'll come in i don't care how often it is you know i i, I try to never overstay my welcome yeah um so i was always a little bit i would err on the side of caution and then a couple times they like there was one time there was this crazy sexy stripper in and they're like this is jim norton's dream girl so they were actually jim if you're in if you're listening come in right now we got a girl for you and I came in and we had a fun time. So I just, I think I just got comfortable with the idea that if I showed up, these guys kind of liked me and I would hang out with them after and we would go out. And, and again, I don't remember the exact time frame. My memory is going out you know, as I get older, but I remember one time and uh, you know, again, Anthony and I were friendly on the air, but he had a girlfriend back then. So I didn't really hang out with Ant. So Opie and I would talk a lot more. And he said to me, dude, we're going to get you paid one day. We're going to get you some money. Keep coming in. You're really funny. And this was like, we would go do these live listener events. And, um, you know, I think we had done like uh, something at Hooters or whatever, which was right downstairs from NEW, as you remember. Um, I'm, I'm behind it, I think on 56th Street or something. So I, he told me, we're going to get you paid sooner or later. We're going to get you paid sooner or later. So I kept coming in and eventually they did. They got me hired. Um, I remember I was making $1,000 a week, which, you know, it was pretty fucking good for a first time hire, um, you know, uh, of just to kind of come in and, and do radio. And I don't know if we had been syndicated or not. We maybe just got syndicated at that point. We had another weird moment where a guy called up from Philly. It was like new in syndication and he was suicidal. So we were talking to him about, you know, trying to talk about it, killing himself. And that got some press in Philly early for the show. Like when we had just gone on in the afternoons there. So we had these weird moments in the show's history that I was involved in, which kind of, I think, helped me uh, get on the payroll. Now, before you were even getting paid, was it making sense for you to do it even if it was free because it was translating into more money for your stand-up gigs or or you were getting bigger crowds because of it? 100%. I mean, uh, the money is always great. But I never, even long into our tenure, even long after NEW and into XM when Open Ant were like, you know, or, or they announced ONA's big contract, I never asked what they were making. I never negotiated hard for money. I always took what was offered. I've never been fucked up about money like that. Like I've never been greedy. So no, for me, it was always just, man, I got people showing up to gigs. I got people who want to come see me. I got people like calling in about my jokes. Like, so just the fact that I was getting some recognition was what I wanted. And uh, even long, long into my Opie and Anthony 
uh, relationship. I never, and I had the same agent as they did after a while, Bob Eatman. And I never said, what are they getting? Like, I truly never knew what Opie and Anthony made. Never. I never asked. I never gave a shit. Whatever they got, they deserved. Um, it was never about me going, hey, guys, because they discovered me. Like, I understood that, too. It was never like, hey, man, I am an equal in this. And they would say to me occasionally, they both of those guys said, dude, we understand that this is kind of like a triangle now. But the branding is open. And, like, and, and I was always like, great. I never, ever pushed back on that or wanted more than that. Um, I always thought they were super, super generous with me. And uh, so money was never, never an issue. Did Opie and Anthony come to you as a pair or did, was it just Opie who said? It was Opie, 100% Opie. For the money? I, yeah. Yeah. And then, and, and then when he made that happen, it was a five day a week thing then or still not even five days a week? You know, that's a good question. I don't remember. I think I was coming in three days a week at one point. I think I had been coming in three days a week. And this is how, what an unobservant ass I am. Um, at one point, those guys were not getting along at all. And I didn't even know it. So I would come in and I would always have a great time with them. Anthony would be drinking, putting his thing behind the, uh, putting his beer behind the console on the left side. And, and again, I was closer to Opie at that point, but I didn't realize that, you know, Opie was kind of talking to me more than Ant on the air, or they were kind of at times I was like relieving the tension between them. And I had no idea that that was happening. I didn't realize that I was just one more person to kind of comfortably bounce things off of in the studio. I had no idea until years later. I mean, so I would love to say I'm this master of observation, um, but I didn't, but I think that I kind of served a, a, a purpose there that I just wasn't aware of. Yeah. When I talked to Anthony for, for this podcast, he said that it was that he didn't think they, that the show needed a third guy. Yeah. And that he didn't know at that time that Opie felt like they were already losing chemistry. So Opie wanted to get another person in. With that being said, like with a, with a third guy coming in and Anthony initially not wanting a third guy, I always found it odd that you guys never seemed at odds, you and Anthony, like you guys got along so great on the air. I would yep. think that I, if I was in Anthony's position, I'd be like, why is this guy coming in and, and taking some of the jokes, you know, but that never happened with you guys. No, never. And Anthony is very good. Uh, and this will come from his, his, his traumatic childhood and really <laughs> At, at compartmentalizing and focusing on one thing, you know, it's what happens when spaghetti is being thrown against the wall. You know, you learn to compartmentalize. And Anthony is also a guy who's such a, he's comedically so brilliant and he's so, he's so good on the radio that I'm funny and I'm very I'm quick with my Joe, but there's nothing I'm going to do. That's going to put Anthony Cumia out of a job. Like, you know, like the Opie and Anthony show, I was never a threat to anything on that show. So I think even though he might have felt it was weird, he, he on some level has to know that he's so goddamn good at this that I'm not coming in and doing the same thing. Um, I'm just firing out kind of one-liners and talking about my own sexual inadequacies and making fun of myself. So I think that he knew he was as good as he is. Um, so I was never a threat to anything anybody was doing on that show. Anthony said one of the main things that you brought to the show to him was that you would acknowledge a one-liner that went nowhere, that yeah. bombed. And he said before you had gotten there that if a, if a line was said and it didn't work, it was just like, we'll keep plowing on, you know, move on, uh, cover it up before people realize you, you had a joke that didn't work and that you would like go out of your way to acknowledge that that was a terrible line that went nowhere. Yeah, you know, it, again, that just comes from hanging out with the comedians I hung out with and that's how we interacted with each other. You couldn't get away with it 
without being made. And it doesn't mean every time you have to be taken to. It was just fun to make fun of somebody who, who you know, who shit the bed with a joke. And that was it made something funny that bombed. It was a way to, to salvage something. Um, and it also, I felt, brought a level of honesty to me as a comedian. So I kind of that's kind of the what I did. But again, that was all of us with Patrice and Colin and and Voss and Bobby. And that's how we interacted with each other. So it was just a natural extension on the air to acknowledge or uh, Otto, you know, another guy who would acknowledge when things weren't going well. So I just I think I probably just did it on the air by shitting on myself at first. I mean, I don't think I would have shit on one of those guys initially. So it was probably just me making fun of myself for a joke sucking. Yeah, growing up, you know, I was a huge Howard Stern fan. And, and at the time, I thought, wow, like this guy is so super honest about everything. He will acknowledge he has a small penis. He talks about masturbating, like all this stuff. And then I feel like you took it to a whole nother level where you had no shame in yeah. any like what someone might be embarrassed about sexually or, you know, just there was there just seemed, seemed to be nothing that would embarrass you about yourself. Yeah, and that was really refreshing to hear on the radio. Like it was just a whole nother level from Howard Stern, small penis. Uh, it takes me two seconds to have sex. Like you would just talk about your lifestyle and things that I think people would hide in the dark. And it was just refreshing to hear on the radio that oh, well, we all kind of have have some things that we uh, kind of hide about ourselves. And I felt like it was so just the, you would just let it out there. I was like, man, like if this guy's looking for a girlfriend, she knows everything that would that she might be turned off by before she would even get involved. Well, thank you for saying that. It's, it's, it's a nice compliment. But yes, it's the truth in a way like there's a line in Full Metal Jacket where he says uh, we're here to weed out all non-hackers who do not pack the gear to serve in my beloved core. And that's what doing the radio show would do. Like anybody who stepped into it, there was so much of my stuff out there that 80% of the women who might have been inclined to go out with me just backed out and went, nah, you know, he's, he's, he's done golden showers. Or he's, I don't want to. But the ones that did show up were really good eggs. And, and I think I did it because, A, it felt like it was mine. Like when you're making fun of things that are yours, like I feel like I had free reign to make fun of anything because I was so cruel to myself first and foremost. And it felt very truthful because I knew all that stuff wasn't true, but I was taking like a distorted perception of myself and just letting everybody hear what I said to myself. You know what I mean? It was almost like, yeah, I know technically I'm not a piece of garbage, but I do in my life feel like it. So I might as well say it out loud. Like I know all these things, um, sexual inadequacy or, or paying for sex, you know, for years, just talk about it because it was stuff that brought me a lot of deep shame. And the only way to kind of exercise it is to air it out. It was the only way to give and then have other people go, God damn, I do the same thing. You know, those are the best emails I get. Even to this day, people are like, dude, I always thought I was weird for doing this, but you made me feel okay about it. Like that's a great compliment um, when somebody tells me that. So yeah, it, it just made me feel like, if I'm going to make fun of you, then I really should be truthful enough to make fun of myself and to humiliate myself a little bit, because who am I to sit there and judge you if I haven't been honest about myself? I remember, and still to this day, whenever I hear Joe Beningo's name, I remember a story you told on the air about how you would be looking for prostitutes while listening to Joe Beningo. On the overnights. The overnight. I love him. 240 on the fan, uh, the Jets, they can't win a ball game. You know, and he's screaming about that. And I, you know, I'm negotiating rates and I'm pissing into a dude. I had a cup I would drive around. I'd pee in a cup and dump it out the window so I didn't have to get out and pee. 
it was hours every night because I was this was after ONA got fired, by the way. Oh, OK. Um, oh, wait. Or do you know what? It might no, be I feel like it was doing, before that. You know, it might be because we were in afternoons back then. So, yes, uh, I didn't really do that when we were in the morning. I couldn't. But it was uh, yeah, it was it was in the afternoons. And then I was doing tough crowd once we got fired. So, yeah, correct. That was while we were still on the air because it was um, the uh, I didn't have to get up until, you know, for three o'clock radio show. So, yeah, I just had hours to kill, man. And I loved Beningo. And then occasionally, what's his name? Steve Summers. Is that the yeah. guy schmoozing under the, the covers? <laughs> yeah. You know, with uh, Imus in the morning, you would always plug Imus. Um, yeah, I used to listen to, I used to listen to come back from gigs before even Opie and Anthony. I was a big, you know, Jay Diamond. Um, yes. I used to listen to the Jay Diamond and the Bob Grant replay overnight. Like I think Jay Diamond, I want to say was on 11 to two or three or midnight to three. And then Bob Grant would replay his afternoon show would replay overnight. So that's what I would listen to before ONA. And I asked Anthony and he, he said that it was uh, the tough crowd came after the yes. ONA show. It did. Because it was all those same. And I didn't know any of those comedians until Opie and Anthony. And I felt like I was like a fan of stand up because I knew, you know, <laughs> Gary Shandling and yeah. the, the really big names. And then there was this group of guys that would come in with you and Opie and Anthony that were sort of like these. I would see them then as, oh, these are New York comics that I'm not aware of because I'm not going to clubs in New York. But it was like a very specific, close group. And then tough crowd, but that was, I mean, a show that you feel like, of course, wouldn't air anymore today, but right. it took that, that part of the Opie and Anthony show and moved it to TV. And I just thought it was, like, that was just a great, that was such a great show. What, why did that get canceled? Was it, was it in this, the beginning of the, you know, canceling things that uh, make fun of race and that sort of thing? You know, I think that the ideology went into it. Um, I remember, and I'm such a good coattail writer, Al. It's amazing. Opie and Anthony ended in August of 2002. November of 2002 is when we really, uh, I shot, I think the first six episodes of Tough Crowd were shot. So we started conceptualizing that right now. And then it went on the air in early 2003. Tough Crowd went off the air at the end of 2000. Uh, I think it was four or early 2005 and then ONA, no, early 2004. And then Opie and Anthony were back on the air like a month later. Like I literally, it was like puddle jumping from Opie and Anthony to tough crowd back to Opie and Anthony. It, it couldn't have worked out better for like a person like me who just loves to grab onto a coattail and get dragged over rocks. Uh, it was, uh, um, but it, yeah, it really was the New York kind of everybody just kind of attacking each other. And we did it on the air and then it worked on tough crowd. And then we, Brought it back when ONA were on Sirius uh, or XM at the time. And I remember me and Patrice were sitting in a car. I drift, dropped them off one night. We were just sitting there talking about the Opie and Anthony show. This is probably 2003 or four when ONA were not on the air. And he was like, no other show lets you do what those guys do. Just sit there and make fun of each other for hours. He's like, no one else lets you do that. Like we were just talking about how much we missed what that show let you do. Um, so, yeah, I never thought it would come back either. I remember thinking, feeling helpless and hopeless that it would never come back. And, of course, lo and behold, it did. Were you responsible for bringing comics on Opie and Anthony? No. I mean, those guys did bring guys on before me, Voss. But how did they know them? Like, how did, like, I know we know how they became aware of you through Dice. How did, didn't they become aware of guys like Voss and Patrice through you? No, Voss um, had gone on, uh, 
just kind of uh, through his own, I think. And he's the one, he brought Patrice on before I did. I think Patrice's first time on the radio was with, um, was with Voss. My influence with the comedians, was, once I became a kind of a semi-regular fixture, I would, they liked the, the comic coming on all the time element. And I would be able to like, you know, push for guys I liked, uh, Bobby Kelly, uh, Bill Burr, who didn't come in. This is again, XM days. He didn't come in with me the first time he came in to promote Chappelle's show, I think. Um, or, or the Charlie Murphy tour he was doing with Donnell Rollins. I think he came on the first time with Donnell Rollins and Charlie Murphy. And, um, but I would push for guys like that. Um, but that was at XM. My influence was basically just saying, hey, this guy's really funny or that guy's really funny or just interacting with comedians a certain way when they came on the air. But those guys were bringing in comedians, in fairness. I mean, they liked comedians. Like Mario Cantone was going on. Brian Regan was going on. Um, you know, the, they had comics before me. Now, you mentioned we talked earlier about like being super honest. And it's one thing, I think, to do it in a comedy club. But when you do it on WNEW, did that get how did that how did your family react to those sorts of things? Well, my first phone in the first time I talked on the radio, I was talking about golden showers and, uh, you know, my girlfriend and the things we would do. And my uh, my father and I talked. He's like, so your mother and I heard you on the radio uh, yesterday. And I was like, good. And he goes, yeah, I, I told her you just, you're just kidding. And I'm like, yep. <laughs> yes, I am, dad. And we both knew that I wasn't kidding, but we both knew this is how this has to play out in the family. <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, fine, dad. I never drank it out of a cup. You're right. I made it up for the radio. Uh, and the girl I was dating, her family, she was so embarrassed. But I'm like, did they know who I was talking about? And she's like, no, um, they didn't. So, uh, you know, I, I think that kind of, it hurt my relationship with her, even as a friend, because I think her, everyone listened to Opie and Anthony and they had heard that and they might've connected it to her. So I always tried to spare people's personal lives. Like I never outed people by name. I lied all the time about dates and experiences and when something happened. And I lied about context. There was always lies I would tell simply to separate somebody from being identifiable. So, you know, I mean, look, I, I've been very honest on the air but I've mixed in that honesty with a tremendous amount of lies about locations and dates and circumstances. But, but that was basically to keep people's private lives private. Like I didn't want to, if I said, Hey, a girlfriend and I did something, or if I did, I did this with an escort one time, it might've been with a girlfriend two weeks ago, but I said, I did it with an escort three years ago because I don't want anybody connecting. Like it's my, my dirt shouldn't embarrass other people. Right. You know what I mean? Yes. On any W it was much different, I think, than being on satellite, especially on XM. When you guys first got there, it was not only a pay, ser a pay service, but it was an, an additional payment to be $2. Yeah, $2 more. So I think one of the things that Anthony had said prior was that in that situation, the only people listening are your hardcore fans. Yeah. Where at a place like NEW, when it's on the regular radio, there's a chance that somebody bumps into that show who's a grandmother, who's yeah. a church going father, you know, yeah. you're going to, you're going to be able to catch people off guard more there. And like you're saying, family members of girlfriends that you're dating at the time. Did you notice a big difference in that in the years since NEW? You did, especially in the beginning. I remember, I think when we first went back on, we had 11,000 listeners. That's how small it was when we first went back on because XM was XM. You have to buy the unit, put it in the car we fought for a couple of years to get off that higher tier. 
we fought for a while to get off that. And then once we were exposed on XM, as far as anybody could tune in and listen, it became a little bit easier to gain new listeners. And like you said, catch people off guard, but we always had real language freedom because again, it's a pay service. So, I mean, even all the crazy things we said, I don't look, if you're going to get mad at us, you better get mad at the Sopranos who said a lot worse than we did. Uh, they said that on a, on HBO, which is a subscription service. You're paying for that. You're saying, I want this. And that's how it was with our show. So we said a lot of horrible things, but people were paying for it um, in an additional service. So if people aren't going to give shit to, uh, to television shows and HBO uh, series, then you know, I don't want to hear it either. You know what I mean? Like, so yes. that kind of gave us a different free reign than we had on NEW. Cause I, I looked at NEW, even though we had leeway way more than you have today, that's much more like regular television compared to HBO. Right. And when you were at NEW, uh, did you do any prep yourself or did you show up and react to everything that was going on? Like, would you ever go in and go, hey, I, I want to talk about this particular topic or did you just assume it would get around to that? I still don't do prep. Are you kidding <laughs> me? I'm not, I, I know I like to react. I, I think that's why ONA works so well. Because those guys, we, I mean, we had a bigger staff and would do, they would do prep work and discuss topics. And um, I would just react. I like just reacting. I prefer to react. And Anthony and I worked so well together because we were like kind of two kids shooting spitballs and reacting. And it was like this, this crazy, almost like a food fight where you didn't know exactly what was getting thrown or where or what angle it was coming. There was just a lot of different energy being fired around. And I preferred, I worked well in that environment. Like I like an environment where you can just kind of react and then hang back if you want to, and then react and then hang back. Like I kind of like to, to do that. So that was a really, uh, that was one of the best things about my chemistry with him is that, you know, the way we would kind of both react to things. Um, I, I thought we played off each other pretty well. And nowadays to me, and maybe it's because there's a lot of podcasts and everything is sort of on demand or on YouTube, four hours a day seems insane to be, be looking to fill four hours a day every day with fresh content. That was one of the things like with Opie and Anthony on NEW is like every day, you had to try to top what you did the day before. And it was inevitable that that show was going to blow itself up. Sure. Eventually. Um, yes. I mean, it's 20 hours a week. I mean, and on, um, whatchamacallit on satellite, it became 25 hours a week at one point when we were doing the extra hour. Uh, we were doing, uh, three to, uh, I'm sorry, six to nine and then nine to 11 on pure satellite. But yeah, I mean, eventually it blew itself up because, I mean, it really shouldn't have been kicked off the air for what it was. In fairness, the show did a lot of crazy things, but that was a sponsored contest that the company signed off on. So there for, should have been a suspension there. You know, sex for three for Sam, years for three years. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that should have been a suspension and just ride it out. And something else would have happened and come up and an apology and blah, blah, blah. You know, it would have survived. So that was a real panic move. It was a terrible move. Um, for them to pull that show off the air. Um, but maybe they were just sick and tired of ONA by then. That, that could have been it as well. Like they could have just had enough of the potential disasters. I, I really don't know. But that was a really uh, a bad uh, 
a bad decision and the company never should have done it. It was a bad move by NEW. And by the way, my, I had just gotten my salary doubled. I had just gotten my salary doubled. <laughs> I knew there the was city. something with your contract right around yes. that time. <laughs> I, dude, I had just gotten doubled. They had jumped me up to a little over a hundred a year and um, the paperwork hadn't been signed yet. So then we get fired and O&A were under contract where they got paid I, with me. I was there at the pleasure of Opie and Anthony. So they didn't have to pay me. So um, CPS was kind of fair with me or, whoever it was at the time, they paid me for like six months and they didn't have to, but I guess that they, they liked me and I had good, um, a good, uh, goodwill with the company. So they did send me a check for like six months, but it was based on my first salary and not my new salary, which was yeah. infuriating. And they allowed me on other stations. <laughs> oh, I was good. Yeah. Cause Opie and Anthony had like a, you know, you have to just sit out and get paid. But with me, they said, look, if you want to promote gigs, go ahead. Just don't talk about the mess. And I didn't. But they, so in fairness, they, you know, CBS or whatever was was pretty. Who, who had it before CBS? I think Infinity. Infinity Broadcasting. Yeah. That's correct. Um, but they were they were not dicks to me about that. They let me go on. So they uh, let me go promote my gigs in different markets. Did you blame anybody for that Sex for Sam debacle? Like, was it Paul Mercurio's fault for pushing the envelope? Was no. it me on the dump button for missing something? Was no. it management for okaying everything and then firing them? It was a combination. Uh, sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, it was a combination. It was, um, I blamed Mercurio incorrectly. And I, and I really never should have blamed Paul because he was just doing what was in the spirit of the show. Opie yelled, go in. I remember Ben was going, don't do it. But I was right there with it. Management could have said, don't do it. Paul could have not done it. You, it was a combination of everybody was participating in it. So for me to have blamed Paul was unfair. And I kind of wish I hadn't. But, you know, it was just stupid. It was almost like hey, you have to look at something. And that was just the easiest and most obvious. Um, but management was technically the ones who should have been blamed because they allowed the competition and um, they shouldn't have fired the show. So my blame should have been directed on management. Uh, for allowing it and saying, yeah, you can do this. And then the company for buckling to pressure from one guy. Ron Bennington, when I spoke to him on this podcast, he said that he thinks shows should have an ending. Like that sometimes it's not good when a show goes on and on and on. Yeah. Like that a show like Opie and Anthony should have blown itself up. It should have because you look back and you go, well, like we look at what makes things feel like legendary or like, yes. wow. But that's in hindsight, in the moment, you know, everything you want it to end on your own terms. Like you don't want it to, to end over something stupid. You know, you want it to end because the guy like, hey, Kevin and Bean just split. They broke up or this show breaks up or that show breaks up. But look, Stern is still going. And there's people who would say, hey, it's not the same show. All right, fine. But he's still doing it in a way that he wants to do it for people who like it. Like, you know what I mean? If some of his hardcore fans don't enjoy it anymore, fine. I'm sure some of ours can't stand Oprah, myself, or Ann. Or, fine. I mean, it's fair judgment. But you, you want it to end on your own, under, under, under your own reasons. You don't want it to be because of a stupid thing like that, you know? Yeah. And what, when you guys were doing afternoons like that, what, was your, what were your days like? Because you would do stand-up at night. Would you go right from the show when it would end at like 7 o'clock? Yep, right down and do gigs. You know, I'd probably do two or three or sometimes four sets a night. I was a crazy doing stand-up every night back then. And then, like, you know, again, look at uh, prostitutes all night, ride around in the meatpacking district, <laughs> looking at, uh, at girls or go home on Craigslist and, uh, you know, just spend hours looking. And then, uh, you know, 
masturbate, go to sleep at six, maybe wake up at one and go in and do it again. You know, it was a crazy existence. Crazy. Yes, that was, uh, and then you'd be working all weekend doing uh, shows. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes I'd be away. And of course, if dice needed me, I was always working with, uh, with Andrew, but once, once I was on O and a, I, I didn't tour with Dice as much, you know, because then 9-11 happened and, you know, uh, and then we got kicked off in 2002. Um, so Andrew and I, we only we worked together mostly from 97 to about 2000, 2001. I toured very heavily with Dice. Now, uh, they also, CBS brought the show back on 92.3 after yeah. it was on satellite. I, figured, I don't even remember how many years it was on satellite before they brought them back. I, I think they came back in 2006. Is six or seven? It might have been. Yeah, I think it was six. Um, like that, like right. May or June of two thousand six. That's when uh, David Lee Roth uh, that that ended very quickly. But I felt like, and maybe it was you know, you guys had gone through the sex or Sam thing. Uh, things had changed. You had an outlet at XM where you can go crazy, do whatever you want. But I thought it was very weird because I was I was put in charge of the dump button again. Yeah. It was so weird to have a friendly, nice Opie and Anthony talking to me about content where at NEW, it was, you know, the dump guy was the enemy and we would try to sneak things by him. Instead, it'd be like guys would come down the hallway and say, hey, we'd really love to get this on. What do we need to take out? And it was just such a weird. Yeah, it's like mm, th there's something's missing here. You know what it was, too? I mean, I hated those years. I liked the money. Um, but I hated those years because a, it was a longer show and we would do three hours that were good for both the beginning. We're good for, you know, regular and, and the satellite fans by and large hated it. We got some great bits though. I mean, the uh, baby bird bit was from, uh, NEW. I, although that might've just been on XM. We might have yeah. just used that for XM. I don't know if that ever technically got broadcasted over, uh, the, uh, airwaves of, uh, yeah, I don't remember. Three. I don't remember that. Might it may have, have it, it may have been one of those things where you did the setup on ninety two three, did the actual thing over at XM, and then played an edited version of it the next morning. Yeah, on ninety two three. I yeah, I had a real weird hatred of a uh, the K Rock situation because the O and A ratings weren't what they wanted them to be, but those guys really were not getting along at all. Like they just they didn't enjoy each other anymore. It was just too much. And they were, uh, and, and the radio station was blaming me for the ratings. Oh, they I thought forgot was, about that. Yeah, they thought it was Jim Norton's fault. And I'm like, right. what are you talking about? I was on the show when it was doing a 20 share in Cleveland in the afternoons. What's the, what, what do you, what do you mean? Um, and they were trying to blame me. And uh, so they wanted to fire me or they wanted me only to go on satellite, like not show up or only do three days a week or some garbage. And so we never said it publicly, but the way we structured my new three day a week thing was I would go out and do, cause I was, I was going to shoot an HBO special in 2007. So what I would do is I would go out, I would do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday shows and fly home Monday. So I would do Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday with Opie and Anthony fly out Thursday, do Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday with a gig. Like cause I was working on material anyway. So the audience didn't really even notice that my presence was cut down a lot because I was away doing gigs, warming up for an HBO special. So once you know, it kind of worked out and then we had the homeless Charlie thing happen where we thought we were going to get fired. So they kicked us off satellite for a while. And when that happened, um, ONA read a statement on 92.3. And then I just, the whole thing got forgotten. I just started coming back in. Um, I just came in when I wanted, nobody said a word. 
So that was what kind of kept me. And I actually got an apology from uh, one of the guys who uh, in management, he goes, I'm sorry, I blamed you. I shouldn't have. It wasn't you. Um, it was this and that. Um, so I kind of felt better about that. But yeah, I kind of always hated the company for that. Um, you know, and, and, I, and I went to a meeting one time with a couple of the bosses and one of the new presidents. And we were just talking about language and what we were allowed to get away with and racial jokes. And I remember um, I was sitting there with, you know, again, it was like, I think the new guy who was the president of CBS radio and uh, Tom and, and Obi and Anthony and somebody else. And we were talking about racist jokes. Like, yeah, you just can't do them. Can't do any Asian jokes. And I remember pointing, I'm like, you know, we have a, we're doing, running an ad right now for a comedian. And in the ad, there are Asian jokes. And they said, well, he's half Asian. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, well, we, you know, it's like Irish brothers. We can make fun of ourselves. And, and I'm like, okay, well, fine. But would you put that in writing? Meaning, would you put that in writing that you can make fun of who you are? Because I don't want to get fired or have my contract invalidated. Uh, but of course they wouldn't put it in writing. But I remember asking for that in writing. So, uh, you know, they, that we could say certain things and couldn't. Uh, maybe that's another reason they hated my guts. <laughs> I remember one of the things that you were angered at after you had left is that the company put out a words hurt and harm booklet. Oh God, yes. <laughs> Do you know that was I the title of the booklet? Yeah, it really was awful. I still have a um, a dump sheet, a bunch of dump sheets. Yeah. From like 2007. Uh, and it'll be funny, you know, Louis said diarrhea nine times, <laughs> all these weird things that got because comedians would come in and think if you just didn't drop the C word, you right. were fine. The worst was you and Anthony because you were so skilled at walking the line, you know, and you know, you had like a, a couple of seconds here or there to to figure out whether something was <laughs> graphic or not. Whereas like when the comedians would come in, I'd actually like those days because I'd be like, oh, I'll be able to clearly know what's getting dumped like i remember yeah louis had been in uh the worst one was tracy morgan came in he was talking oh. about coming in a girl's eye he was saying <laughs> titties like the worst things that you would say on the radio but yeah when it was just you and anthony getting on something i'm like ah God, what, what am i doing here what do we and then you know, try to put it in context in the overall what's been said how many times all that stuff so oh right i forgot about that yeah yeah you guys you would have to figure that out where what's the uh what is uh yeah what was what's the context of this is it, it has something been said before that can paint the picture too clearly yeah. yes i forgot like if somebody about that. said pull down your pants so it's like okay well now you can't get away with as much uh things because we already have the picture of someone pulling down their pants and that and then anthony used to play the what we would call the alphabet game right he'd say i'd effer in the a and That's c right. all over and I'm like well, then what do we do with that well, here's one I just found. Uh, let's see. This is from sometime in August of 2007. All right. Um, let's see here. Uh, Anthony, part one segment. Anthony went to Renaissance Festival. Girl from Playmate, uh, girl from Playmate of the Apes was there that. working the booth, checked into hotel wearing a sword, food at festival. Anthony's girl, gallstone problems, 10 hours in ER. Her gallbladder has to come out. Norton's girl took a dump while he was in the shower. Opie has never known his girl took dumps. Like that was one of the things that got, <laughs> got, got uh, didn't make the final right. cut. And, and also the dump sheet, uh, uh, 715, dumb caller gave out his phone number. 720, you cunt, Anthony. <laughs> 724, what word starts with C and ends with T and has UN in it? Caller. <laughs> 7.50 a.m., turn down your fucking radio, Opie. <laughs> so, yeah, these were some, some great... Uh, 
really uh, those must have been easy those, those were kind yeah of those are the easy ones <laughs> in fact i even have a clip of uh, of some caller calling up saying something ridiculous and anthony's saying oh that's such an easy one for al down the hall he's yeah. spinning around in his chair kicks the dumb button with his foot <laughs> those obvious ones yeah uh do you still enjoy taking photos with celebrities you know usually if i interview somebody it's rare now that i'll go get one with somebody i have no connection to because i've met all the people i really want to meet so i won't like hang out and wait anymore um because i don't care about the stories i can possibly get out of it anymore sometimes it was fun to get a good story but yeah if the moment presents itself sure but I don't know if I would pursue it unless it was somebody really, really that I wanted to talk to. But you were originally getting pictures with an actual digital camera. This is before our phones had uh, oh, cameras God, on yeah. them, right? Like I, you I had, had a, a belt thing. I carried on my belt. Yeah, it was like a gun, but it was a camera. I remember that you must have not gotten a picture with Derek Jeter when you had waited a long time. That next morning, you were furious. That's probably one of the reasons they wanted to fire me because I really blasted Derek Jeter. Yeah. No, he had. I had a photo with him, but he wouldn't sign it. Oh, that um, was it. But I, I kind of regretted that. Like I was being a real dick that day. Like Jeter's doing a charity event. And I, I, I didn't realize that I could have paid and got it signed. I didn't realize that that was, I was so stupid. But uh, yeah, that was one of the few regrets I had was the beating I gave Derek Jeter. Not that yeah. he ever heard about it or cared about it. But I was like, yeah, I was just being a complete ass. And two more things. And then I'll let you go. Uh, these are two things that I, when I think of you all of these years later, I still think of these two things that you've said on the air one you said you should never have a backup plan like when you were getting into comedy when you would hear somebody say they have a backup plan that means they're going to eventually go to their backup plan do you still see it that way yeah i mean you don't want to have the option like for me again i'm 52 now but i was 21 when i started so i was like you know you're like yeah i can do whatever i want someday but yeah having a backup plan a lot of guys go back to it and I don't know if you're desperate enough when you have a backup plan. Like I have, I got a GED three years, like when I was 19, but I have no education. I mean, what, what am I going to do if I don't do comedy? You know, that's also made me very responsible with my money because I have no backup plan. So I save money. I pay into my mortgage, like, you know, all this stuff. Cause I'm so paranoid about it being taken away again. You know, like that, that firing, man, it was really weird for me. Like in a way it helped me because again, I never again took for granted that I would always have a job. So I, it, that probably saved me eventually for all these years I've been over at Satellite. Like, I never think I'm irreplaceable. I never think I'm unfireable. Like, I know that anybody is replaceable. So that, I think that kind of made me smarter, that horrible firing, yeah. So I, not having a backup plan at that time sucked, though, because I had nothing else to do. And then I also heard you talking on the air saying that you never enjoy your success as it's happening. Like you have to, it, it, you enjoy it a couple years after it. But in happens. hindsight, yes. In hindsight. Absolutely. Yes. Well, looking Still. back on it, I'm like, yeah, look, that was great. Because what happens is as I'm succeeding, I just can't, I can only see the end of the cliff. Like, you know, I, I'm, I'm like Thelma and Louise, like, yeah, this is a great ride. But then I'm like, yeah, but look where we're headed. Like, that's how I always, <laughs> that's how I always look at any success. Like I'm about to drive off. Uh, it's only when I look back on it and I could see the entire arc of it that I feel okay. Yeah, that's why I enjoy, I enjoy doing this series just about any W because 20 years later, I could finally look back on it and go, oh, that was a pretty cool place to work back then. It was. Like, yeah. Like management never really got involved. Like it was just it seemed like, you know, you pretty much could do what you want until you pushed it too far. Then you got fired and the whole thing was over. Yeah. Have you um, have you have you talked to Ken? What was his name? Ken Stevens? Ken Stevens. I have not. Oh, OK. Yeah. 
Um, I always wonder what happened to those. It's full of Jeremy. I see used to see a lot over at Sirius. Yeah. But um, yeah, most of those guys, uh, the higher ups, I didn't uh, really know. But I think Ken was as high up the ladder as I went. Yeah. So you didn't have to deal with management, which was good. Not much. No, no. Those guys had to, to kind of tolerate it. And then uh, just on the topic of censorship and things. I always felt like stand up comedy in the clubs was a place that was always going to be safe for no matter what you say. What are they going to do about it? it? But now I feel like there's been cases where that's not the case anymore. Like if you say something crazy in a club, it will can still get you in trouble. Sure. Do you feel it, that like doing stand up? Yeah, because it's not about what the person said. The the Because cancel culture, a lot of people confuse it as like people will say, well, they're trying to get people. Uh, you said that or you said that, but it's really not about the things people say. That's the shield people hide behind. What it's really about is people like to attack other people. It feels good. That's why when you see people being burned to death in certain villages, it's because when there's a mob around, it feels good to watch somebody burning to death, whether we like to admit that or not. So if somebody has footage of somebody in a club saying something, the context doesn't matter where they were, it doesn't matter. Once the footage is out there, then people can go, oh God, they're burning this guy to death in the middle of the street. Let's stand around and help. So, you know what I mean? So no, nowhere is safe as long as there's footage of it because it's not about what the person says. It's about the joy the onlookers get for taking part of, in the beating. And are you surprised you've made it this far with, with <laughs> all that goes on? No, no. I mean, because again, I've been doing the same type of material for 30 years. I mean, um, you know what I mean? It's kind of what, it's the type of jokes I do. And, um, and again, if you're going to come after me for jokes, well, then you had better go after Stephen King for killing children in his books. And you had better go after the Sopranos for murder. Oh, that's right. You see what I mean? Like there's always, their logic always falls short. Um, and people who are trying to ban jokes are the exact same people that they claim to hate, like religious people who don't want uh, the Virgin Mary painted in dung or people who protest art that's exactly what these people are doing. So no, I'm, I'm not worried about it at all because I've been a consistent, it's the same comedian I've been for 30 years as far as what I talk about. Um, and again, you better go after authors too. If you're going to go after to me as a comedian or other comedians, you better go after actors. You better go after authors. You better go after uh, movie producers for content in, what they're, in, the, in their work. And now you do a show with Sam Roberts. You've been doing that for a couple of years now. Yeah. Um, that's on, uh, what is that on faction talk? Yeah. Well, hopefully they'll change the awful name of that. It's that stupid channel. Um, we're looking at, I would love a name change. Uh, but yeah, we're on, I think it's one Oh three. Uh, we're on Monday through Thursday, eight to 11 because listening habits changed, um, on satellite. They told us because again, people are commuting differently now. So it, it, it's like the first couple of hours, don't, people just don't really listen anymore like they used to. It's a little bit later because that hour, people are kind of staying in bed instead of driving. Do you feel more pressure being the co-host with your name on the show or does it feel the same as when you were doing O&A? Yes and no. I mean, you know, again, I didn't, I didn't quit Opie and Anthony. I didn't make that show fall apart. So the pressure is not like I said, fuck Opie and Anthony, I'm going out to do better things. You know, Anthony got fired. Um, it was terrible. Opie and I stopped getting along. Our show broke up. He was doing a show. I was doing. So it's almost like, look, we all just kind of splintered 
Um, so no, I don't feel necessarily an additional pressure because I didn't walk away jamming my middle finger at everybody. Going, I'll show you. It's just what happened. We all kind of drifted away. So I, I'm glad I have a gig. Does that make any sense? Like I would have yes. felt more pressure if I walked away saying, I'm going to do a better show, you know, but I'm not a, you know, I'll show you, but that was never what happened. Um, you know, up until the Opie and Jim Norton show fell apart. I always wanted Anthony to come back. People are always like, well, if you love Anthony, why didn't you leave satellite? Because I wanted Anthony to come back to our show. I wanted the Opie and Anthony show to exist again and me being the third person on the show. And I had this terror that if I left, then all of a sudden they would decide to rehire Anthony and then I'd be out in the cold. Like, I'm like, I'm not fucking going anywhere. That, that's where my low self-esteem, but I wouldn't even let him call it Opie and Jim because it sounds, it's, it's, no, it's Opie with Jim Norton. It has to sound different. This way, if Anthony comes back, it's Opie and Anthony. And I'm just there again, like I was. There's a clip on YouTube of of an Opie and Anthony fight, and and Opie says, "Listen, man, I'll I'll go do something else." <laughs> and Anthony goes, "No, you can't." Yeah, it's like so, what are you what are you gonna do? So brutal. But he's also right. It's like this is what we do. I mean, you know, right? We do radio shows or stand up. I mean, I mean, it's not just so easy to go find a different gig. Um, you know, I mean, like I'm again. I'm I, if I get fired. Um, it happens and I, and I know that it can happen to anybody, but I try not to be a completely reckless idiot these days on the air, but you, you never know because the line keeps changing. So who knows? You say something on Tuesday that Wednesday is a problem. And do you keep in touch with anybody from the WNEW Opie and Anthony show? Just Anthony's one of my closest friends. I mean, yeah. I do the chip podcast. Anthony's on yes. three That's times a month and, um, he's one of my closest friends. I talk to Ant all the time. So yeah. Uh, but only him. I mean, yeah. uh, there's nobody. I was never really. And Jeremy, I would see it serious all the time up until last year, of course, when we went into lockdown. But um, no, I just didn't see anybody there. None of the other producers. Like oh, Ronnie, I still, Ron Bennington, of course. Bennington, still, and yeah. Fez, whenever I'm in, whenever I'm in Tampa, Fezzy will come to my show and I, and I, I still see Fez. So, yeah, yeah though, I mean, Ron, I'm still close to. Yeah, I miss Fez. Me too. Me too. He was a, a great radio personality. He was. Yeah, I love him, too. And it's always so good to see him. Uh, and he never tells me he's coming. I'm like, Dude, stop paying for tickets. Like, I hate what he I'm like, I'll get you in. But I'll, do, I'll usually see him like, hey, Fez is here. He wants something. Like, you know, <laughs> I wish he would have told me he was coming. Yeah. I would have come in. But yeah, Fez and, and, and Ron and Fez, of course, I still see. Well, uh, I appreciate you doing this. Uh, it was fun to look back on NEW. I just feel like I wanted to, you know, 20 years has now gone by for the most part for I know. for the, uh, that radio station. I just I miss it as a format because I don't. I don't think it really exists anymore. You know, yeah. Um, there's a show here and there, one on satellite. You don't really get it on uh, as a full radio station like it was with ONA and Ron and Fez. So uh, I was just interested in looking back on it. So I appreciate you uh, talking to me about it. Thanks very much, man. It was really fun. Uh, it was fun thinking. About it. I don't think about any W that much. And so it was kind of fun going down. And now I'm going to go look up Alan Sniffin. I'm going to run to the New York radio message board and just read it. That is still <laughs> a thing, by the way. I know it is. I, it's funny. I spent like literally I used to go every day, see if there was any O&A oh, update yeah. news when we got fired. And I forgot it existed until we were just talking. Right. It'd be the New York radio message board and then the Drudge Report we would all go to. Those were That's our two right. go to. And they both were just the simplest websites. Yeah. No yeah, graphics. Really no graphics, print. nothing. Yes. All right, Jim. Thank you very much. Thank you, pal. Talk to you soon. All right. See ya. All right. Bye, Al. Bye.
This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 